I've been reading and looking at the times Jesus met in the 50 days, 40 days um, after the resurrection on Easter Sunday and subsequent meetings he had with the disciples when they were gathered together. And if we look at the times starting with Easter Sunday day and evening and then through 40 days, the different times, places, ways that Jesus met with his followers, the things he said to them, the things that he commanded them to do, give to us... I believe, a template of what an authentic worship service ought to be for us who gather together as his followers. And I want to look at, can't cover it all, but I want to look at some of the things that ought to take place in an authentic worship service, things that God will do, assuming that we gather for the right reasons and the things that ought to take place. I should know I've been to church, not just because I drove there, sat in a chair, and then went home, but some things ought to happen to us and be real to us. Indeed, if Jesus is here and it's been an authentic worship service, not every time that we gather in church is it authentic. There are a lot of churches that either are maybe cults, deny Scripture, certain truths of Scripture, silence God's voice on certain things. They gather together. That's not authentic. I know that's judgmental. But so what? There's only certain things that take place to make our gathering together authentic. I have in John 20... You can turn to John 20 if you wish. Um, each of the Gospels have some mention of the day and the things that Jesus did on the day of Easter, on um, subsequent days. Probably Luke and John have the longest and most detailed accounts. In John chapter 20, <clears throat> I think... Um, we could just begin with verse 19 and read through <clears throat> 29. John 20, 19 through 29. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that's Easter Sunday. When the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. 
The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the, door, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believed. Now, I just have nine, nine points this morning, eight or nine, ten minutes per point, um, and we'll be out. These are just some of the things that ought to take place and do take place if we are in an authentic worship service. Now, first of all, <clears throat> there are some conditions we have to meet. Jesus promised, he said, if just two of you gather together in my name, that's the key. We gather together because we love him. We are unashamed to be called his. We trust him. We obey him and walk with him. And we, we are his. We're no longer ours, Paul said. I'm bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. So I don't have a right to myself. I have to meet. When I come to church, I have to be coming here in Jesus' name for the purpose of meeting with Him, acknowledging Him, worshiping Him. If we meet in Jesus' name, the great promise we have, the assurance, He said, I'll be there. I was thinking this morning, we take attendance, you know, we try to count how many people are here <clears throat> and there really ought to always be one more. You know that? If, if we can't honestly say, Jesus was there, then we, we serve no purpose coming here. We just gather together, Lions Club, the Rotary Club, you know, down at the Eagles. It's nothing more than that if Jesus isn't here. So the presence of Jesus, he comes to us. That's the first thing. 
You notice in these meetings, Jesus initiated, he showed up. He saw them, knew them, and went in this, these cases where they were gathered in fear, and the doors were closed, they were scared to death, they didn't know what, what had happened, they were completely, um, they were disillusioned, and Jesus showed up where the doors were locked, doors were barred, and they were afraid. And in both cases, not only here, but every other case, in the other Gospels, in different meetings, he always greeted them and said, peace be with you, don't be afraid. Peace be upon you is really what it means. My peace, my comfort, my assurance. So Jesus comes to us. Second, he comforts us. Now, that doesn't always mean we feel good. Meaning, we're not bothered. We're not pricked in our conscience. We're not brought up short. We're not reminded, maybe, of areas in our heart where we're not what we ought to be. But God is the only one who knows how to point out what he's displeased with and still comfort us, convict us and still comfort us. No one can do that like God. He can roundly convict us and critique us and show his displeasure. I don't like that. I'm displeased with this. We feel it. Yet he always mingles in with that. Hope, comfort, it's like the psalm. Psalm 86. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may be served. We have reverence for you even, even if we're out of line on something because we know there's forgiveness with you. He always comforts us don't be afraid this in this case it wasn't only the appearance of someone they thought was dead but it's just the general sense of the shrinking back of humans in the presence of god the bible is filled with that both testaments when god's present people fell on their faces he's always saying don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm for you. I'm with you. I will help you. I love you. That's why I showed up. I'm here. When Jesus is here, fear goes away. Darkness goes away. God's here. The third thing, Jesus convinces us. The number one thing that God's after is for us to believe him. The first sin in the Garden of Eden was unbelief. The devil said, did God tell you? Sowing doubt in their heart. Eve bought it mulled it over, considered it. And as Jesus said to Thomas here 
in this second meeting that we read of today. He said to Thomas, don't, the literally is, don't become unbelieving. Becoming unbelieving is a process. It takes a certain amount of time. It's when we let the enemy of our soul, who is also the slanderer of God, puts in our hearts and our minds these little lingering doubts, these little slanders of God's character. You know, you, you'd think God would help you with such and such. My goodness, you've prayed and asked him, and it seems like he's not a word. wonder why he would do that. Why would he allow such and such? Why would he allow someone who loves God to have all this turmoil in their life and disease and trouble? And we know people who don't care a thing about God, and they're fine. wonder why God, boy, I sure wish God would. When those little whispers, that's how it starts. Jesus said to Thomas, don't, don't engage in that process that leads you to being unbelieving. Which, which it clearly implies, I can become unbelieving after initially believing. I can be a believer, but become an unbeliever if I succumb to the temptations of the enemy and the slander of God. And we have to remember something. We, we're out of it. <laughs> the truth is, we don't know up from down when it comes to God. I don't know what God's doing. But we always act like we do. And we think, now, Lord, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And you know the time here is such a... He's got to watch. He knows. And sometimes, just sometimes, not very often, but occasionally, God might know more than I do. Doesn't happen very often. He knows. So... And I know God's heart's tender towards us. And he doesn't, he's not furious with us. But really, when we say, Lord, now do you realize, we, you know, we've only got till Tuesday. And we've got, <laughs> he knows. He knows, no, that's not the deadline. You think it is, but you don't know. I don't know what God's doing. But I trust him. Jesus said this, there, a constant slander of the enemy, that the enemy uses with, God isn't doing anything. I'm praying, I'm crying out to God, he isn't doing anything. I always think of this little phrase, little sentence, Jesus said to the disciples. He simply said, I am working and my Father is working. Okay, I either believe that or I don't. If Jesus said he's working, I don't care if I can't see one sign visibly that he's working. He's working because he said so. That's enough. 
If he said it, okay, he's working. So, I think it's interesting here in this passage, we have two meetings with Jesus. In the first one, on Easter Sunday night, he shows up in their midst. Luke has the same account. Luke has the account of the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. It was about a five or so mile walk on the afternoon of Easter. And Jesus drew near and was talking with them and then said they, he kept them from recognizing him. And he let them pour out their hearts. They were disillusioned, disappointed, bewildered, and they bared their hearts, they said. He said, why are you guys sad? You could see it on their faces. And they said, are you new to Jerusalem? You haven't heard what's happened? Even this morning or yesterday? crucifixion, so forth. All this ruckus. This, where in the world have you been? And Jesus let them tell him. They said, we hoped. They bared their hearts. We hoped he was the Redeemer. He was the Messiah. Our hopes have now been dashed. He said, Slow of heart to believe. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. And it said he began clear back in the Old Testament and opened up to them and explained to them the things about himself. What a Bible lesson to have been in on. And then they brought him in. He ate with them. He prayed, and here's another thing that I, this is maybe a tenth point. Everywhere Jesus shows up, he's immediately in charge. He took the bread, you know, I don't know whose house they were in, who fixed it, and who, you know, <clears throat> the head of the house is supposed to pray or pick who, Jesus just took over. He says, give me the bread. He prayed. He broke it passed it out to them. And then it says, as soon as he did that, their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished. They didn't sit around and say, well, we got the food, we need to eat. We don't know how many of them, but they took off. And it said they, as fast as they could, they went to Jerusalem, found the 11 disciples, and were in the middle of telling them the Lord's alive. We've seen him. We broke bread with him. And while that's coming out of their mouths, Jesus himself shows up. And that's what we have here in John. And I think it's interesting that Luke tells us, John doesn't, but Luke says that for joy, that's a key thing, for joy and gladness, they were still not believing. So hang on to that for a minute. And so he said, <clears throat> he volunteered. No one demanded it. He shows up at the first meeting and says, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my side. And it says, for joy at seeing him, they were just blown away. 
And so then he further volunteers. He says, do you have some food here? And I said, well, we got a piece of fish. And he says, let me have it. And he ate it in front of them and said, see, a spirit, they thought it was a ghost. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones and doesn't eat. It's really me. This, notice the way in which he voluntarily provided them with everything they needed to know to believe. But one week later, Thomas, who missed that first meeting, had been, you know, blowing off through the week. I'm not believing it till I say it. Jesus, <clears throat> in the second meeting, a week later, takes a different tact. He did the exact same thing with Thomas. Showed him his hands, showed him his feet, put your finger in the nail prints, put your hand in my side, don't become unbelieving. And then when Thomas said, you're my Lord, my God, still, Jesus was kind to him and good to him. But he, he still zinged him. He corrected him. He said, well, do you believe because you saw? Blessed are those who believe who didn't see. So he still was not happy that he still complied, if you want to say, to Thomas's demand, but it was not good. It wasn't commendable. He gave more evidence to Thomas than Thomas should have gotten and had a right to demand. And so there is, in addition to his confirmation that he did believe, there's a correction there. Yeah, but don't be like this anymore. You believe because you heard. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So there's a difference here in how God responds to faith or the lack of it. So, <clears throat> he convinces us. In <clears throat> verse 21, he says, I'm sending you like my Father sent me. He commissions us. He gives us a job. Now, let me go back just for a second to the occasion that's covered in Luke, the road to Emmaus. The people that were in the room eating as soon as Jesus vanished out of their sight and they recognized him and he vanished, they said, didn't our hearts burn together within us as he opened unto us the word of God? That's really the key. The word of God and it being opened to us, and God giving us understanding to it. And what does it do? I looked up the different words there, different versions. Some say our hearts glowed. Others, our hearts were ablaze. Most use that phrase. Didn't our hearts burn within us while he 
opened the scripture to us, taught us. <clears throat> the word of God is the key and the core to authentic worship. Even, well, I better not get off on all that. It'll take up too much time. <clears throat> the Bible central. Let me just say this. In the, well, now you'll wonder what I was going to say. In the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, this doesn't, it may seem very small, but it's not. The lectern or the pulpit where the scripture is expounded was moved from the sides to the center. Now think, you might think, well, what's the big deal? It's, it's symbolic that the Bible and the expounding of the scripture is the core of worship. It's opening the word of God where that is done with Christ in attendance in the spirit, applying it to our hearts. Not the glibness or ability or lack thereof of the preacher. It's God ministering his word to us. Our hearts burned. Our hearts are warmed. John Wesley, the day he was converted, used that phrase. He said, my heart was strangely warmed. If our hearts are in tune with God and we're trusting and the scripture are open to us, our hearts are warmed. And on the heels of that, what did the people in Luke do? They took off to tell it. And the same thing here. Jesus said, I'm sending you. So we're not here to just have our hearts warmed and our heads informed. And I think something's interesting here too. They didn't say, didn't our brains and didn't our heads, weren't our heads burning? No, our hearts. My heart. Now, God gets to my heart through my head. I have to understand enough for my heart to believe and be warmed. But ultimately, we have to have our hearts, our souls spoken to, not just our emotions in somehow addressed and stirred up. That's fleeting. That's gone by the time you get to the parking lot. But if my heart is strangely warmed, that's God working in my heart. And with that always comes commands. He also commanded them. He said, I'm sending you. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you look that up, it's the word receive is not passive. It seems like it would be passive. Receive it. God's giving. You just receive it. The word is active imperative. It is an order and it's active, meaning I do something. So it literally means grasp it. What's he doing here? He's preparing them for less now than 
the 50 days away after Easter, for the day of Pentecost. You look forward to that. You anticipate that. That's what will qualify you as I'm sending you. Notice on the heels, I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and he told them in Luke 24, don't you dare leave Jerusalem to cry to go spread the message until you receive the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be witnesses to me. So he commands, <clears throat> orders us. Very quickly, he compels us. In other words, we, now I'm not talking about the, some of the ridiculous kind of um, witnessing that takes place. It doesn't take place that much anymore. It seemed like in earlier days, um, in my ministry, um, there was this kind of button-holding, you know, kind of, um, you know, door-to-door -door vacuum salesman pitch, you know, to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, you take some poor stunned soul. I literally, um, I literally heard sitting on uh, taxiing after a landing into Portland, two guys behind me. There was some poor girl, she was a college girl, sitting in the middle seat, okay? Um, there was two guys, and they were both in some kind of ministry, youth pastors or something. But anyway, they were, and I won't tell what denomination they were from because they said. But at any rate, she was captive. I mean, where do you go? Um, you're in the middle seat, and they just landed, and they're taxing, so what do you do? You listen to these two guys bombard you with, um, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe, you know? And I sat there. I, I remember sitting there saying, Lord, please shut them up. You work on their hearts. You soften their hearts. You prepare their hearts. Then Peter said, for us, always be ready. Make God first in your heart. And then always be ready to give a reason of the hope in your hearts to those who ask you. Now, we know there are times when God prompts us to bring the subject up. But how many times has God meticulously, carefully, maybe months or years been preparing a heart and we come along and try to pick green fruit? Um, God prompts us, but what's behind that? We're compelled. We're, we're looking for, we're ready, because we work for God. We're God's voices in the world. We are His messengers. That's what He wants us to be. I'm sending you. And they had within them, I went through Luke and John, where he said, or looking for the times people with excitement said, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. They went miles to say, I've seen the Lord. That's what Christians do. I've seen the Lord. I want to bring him to your attention too. 
Well, we'll quit. I'll leave one point out. Every time we meet, I want us to have authentic worship that we, we leave with maybe some correction, maybe enlightenment, our faith sturdied up, reinforced, deepened, strengthened, our minds informed, and we are ready to go out into a world that desperately needs God. And God sends us as his little candles out into a black world. But it doesn't need to put that light out. He intends for us, he intends for us to be lights for him that it spreads. That's authentic worship. I trust we've had it today and every Sunday. Let's bow our heads and we'll dismiss with prayer. Father in heaven, each and every Sunday we come in here and we and come in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that our emotions don't get in the way when we arrive at church, that our experiences we've had, we're tired, we're worn out, we're just doing this out of routine, whatever that might be. I just pray this morning, Lord, we are encouraged to know that we can lay those emotions and those burdens aside. And we can walk through this parking lot on the way into this sanctuary, into this church and into this sanctuary with an anticipation and an expectation that we come to meet with you. That we do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, but that we would gather together and spur one another on to good deeds because we've had authentic worship. Thank you for your faithfulness of being here each and every Sunday. And as I was praying coming in here this morning, Lord, I pray for our pastor that he gives us that the words that you've laid on his heart for us to hear, but that you would give us ears to hear what you have to speak to our hearts, that it would encourage us, enlighten us, convict us, comfort us, whatever that might be that we need, because I know you're faithful to meet each one of us, Lord, where we need met. And I know you'll speak to our hearts as we need spoken to. I know you, and I know you will do that. Help us to hear. Help us to be obedient to what you lay upon our hearts so that we can get up and leave this place on a Sunday morning and walk out into, like our pastor just exhorted us, into a dark world as your light. May we just simply be obedient to you, Lord. Listen for your voice and do what you tell us to do and bring you glory in doing it. If you'll do that, Lord, and we'll play our part by listening and being obedient, that's where you want us to be. May we walk um, today by your glory or for your glory by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed, everyone. Have a great day.